Welcome to Pete's Soup. I'm your host, Jim McCarthy. For this episode, we're going to talk about renal tubular acidosis. Admittedly, RTA is not a very common condition, but it's a major cause of non-anion gap acidosis and is also strangely popular on exams, so knowing something about it is probably going to be worth an extra point or two. It's not necessarily the easiest topic to understand, which is why we're doing this in the first place. We'll start out with a little background nephrology. I'm sorry, I know a lot of you probably thought you were done with glomeruli and tubules after the first couple years of med school, but talking about what's normal really does make it easier to understand the problems in RTA. The kidneys are the organ most responsible for handling extra acid. The lungs can help, but there's only so much carbon dioxide you can exhale. The proximal tubule reabsorbs bicarbonate, mainly through processes using carbonic anhydrase, to bring it back into the body. Further down the line, the distal tubule secretes hydrogen ions into the urine where they bind with buffers, primarily ammonia, to create ammonium, trapping them in the urine and directly removing acid from the body. If either one of those functions is impaired, the result is renal tubular acidosis. There are three main types of renal tubular acidosis, type 1 or distal RTA, type 2 or proximal RTA, and type 4 or hyperkalemic RTA. That's not a mistake. The only RTAs you actually need to know anything about are numbered 1, 2, 4. Type 3 RTA does actually exist and has features of both type 1 and type 2, but it's super rare. The gene that's mutated is widely expressed, so it causes a syndrome with renal tubular acidosis, osteoporosis, cerebral calcifications, cognitive delays, and blindness and deafness caused by excessive facial bone growth compressing the cranial nerves. All those features together make up gebaud vein cell syndrome, also known as marble brain syndrome. Like I said, the syndrome is incredibly rare, literally less than one in a million, so this is mostly just interesting trivia. If you do come across a patient who has type 3 RTA, congrats in advance on your case report. Coming back around to things you're more likely to see on exams or in your patients, Type 1, or distal RTA, is caused by a decreased ability to secrete hydrogen ions. Clinically, the presentation can be pretty nonspecific, with dehydration and vomiting as the most prominent symptoms. You probably wouldn't suspect RTA until you looked at the labs, which would show that classic non-anion gap acidosis, sometimes with a bicarbonate less than 10, and urine that's more alkaline than it should be with a pH over 5.3. That inappropriately alkaline urine is one of the main ways to separate type 1 RTA from other causes of non-GAP acidosis. In other kinds of non-anion GAP metabolic acidosis, the kidneys secrete extra hydrogen ions to reduce the acid load, which increases the amount of ammonium in the urine. People with type 1 RTA can't take that step, so their urine ammonium content stays low. Most labs can't directly measure urine ammonium concentration, but we can use the urine anion gap as a surrogate measurement. The urine anion gap is similar to the serum anion gap in that it gives us an idea of the unmeasured anions in the solution, in this case, the ammonium. Urine anion gap is calculated by adding together the urine sodium and potassium concentrations and then subtracting the urine chloride concentration. Under normal circumstances, the urine anion gap is a positive number, usually between 20 and 90. When the kidneys secrete extra acid as ammonium, it gets excreted along with chloride, so the urine chloride content goes up while the sodium and potassium either decrease or stay the same. 
All that together causes the urine anion gap to turn negative, but only if the kidneys can secrete extra hydrogen ions. If not, like in distal RTA, it stays a positive number. Like most things, type 1 RTA can be either congenital or acquired. Acquired distal RTA can be caused by medications, for exams remember amphotericin, iphosphamide, and lithium, and can also develop in patients with Sjogren's syndrome or lupus. You probably don't need to know the genes involved in congenital distal renal tubular acidosis, but you should remember that along with poor growth and kidney stones, autosomal recessive RTA can be associated with deafness, so make sure to get hearing screens on those patients. Whenever you make the diagnosis, you should discontinue whatever potential triggering medications you can, and if that doesn't work or isn't an option, treat the patient with bicarbonate supplements. Type 2 or proximal renal tubular acidosis develops when the kidneys aren't able to reabsorb bicarbonate in the proximal tubule. Normal kidneys can absorb as much bicarbonate as the body needs to maintain the right pH, but patients with type 2 RTA have a limit on how much they can reclaim. It works a lot like diabetes. The kidneys can only reabsorb so much glucose, so once the blood sugar goes above that threshold, the rest spills into the urine. There's some variability from patient to patient with type 2 RTA, but the concept is the same. Once the serum bicarb goes above a certain point, it spills into the urine until it's back below that threshold, which is generally in the acidotic range. Unlike patients with distal RTA, patients with type 2 RTA can still secrete hydrogen ions in the distal tubule, so their urine is appropriately acidic with a negative urine anion gap. Type 2 RTA can be seen as an isolated finding or as part of Fanconi syndrome. The recessive form is rare and associated with severe hypokalemia, growth failure, eye abnormalities, tooth enamel defects, and psychomotor and cognitive impairments. The dominant form is even rarer. When I was researching this episode, I found that it had been described in just two families, so we won't get into it. One more thing to mention before getting to Fanconi syndrome is transient or sporadic RTA. It's an interesting condition where the kidneys have immature tubular function for longer than they should, which leads to growth failure, vomiting, and feeding problems. The problem generally resolves on its own over time, and you just treat it with bicarbonate supplements until the kidneys have time to mature. Fanconi syndrome is caused by generalized proximal tubular dysfunction. Patients spill glucose into the urine, even with a normal blood sugar, along with phosphate, amino acids, and protein. There are a lot of potential causes, from metabolic syndromes like cystinosis, type 1 tyrosinemia, and galactosemia, to medication or toxic effects from aminoglycosides, valproic acid, or lead. Regardless of the cause, the common features are growth failure, episodes of hypovolemia due to impaired urine concentration, rickets and osteomalacia because of phosphate wasting, and muscle weakness. Just like in type 1 RTA, you treat type 2 by first addressing any potential underlying causes, and then by adding in bicarbonate supplements at high enough doses to overcome the renal losses. Finally, there's type 4 or hyperkalemic RTA. Type 4 RTA is caused by aldosterone deficiency or insensitivity. In normal kidneys, aldosterone increases sodium reabsorption in the proximal tubule, which is coupled with potassium and hydrogen ion secretion and also increases hydrogen ion secretion in the distal tubule. Without that function, those potassium and hydrogen ions stay in the serum, causing hyperkalemia and acidosis. Hyperkalemic RTA can be caused by medications, particularly ACE inhibitors, potassium-sparing diuretics, and Bactrim, 
or related to other medical conditions like adrenal insufficiency, sickle cell nephropathy, and obstructive uropathy. Unlike type 1 and 2 RTA, treatment for type 4 doesn't involve bicarbonate supplements. Instead, it's all a matter of treating whatever the underlying cause is. That's all for our quick run-through on RTA. The biggest thing to remember is to consider RTA in patients with a non-anion gap acidosis. If you need a refresher on that, go back to our episode on acid-base evaluation. Once you get to that point, you try to tease out which kind it might be by looking at the differences. There's a handy algorithm from a November 2017 Peds and Review article by Jonathan Pelletier, Rashid Gabadagessin, and Betty Staples. If you have a non-gap acidosis, check the urine pH and anion gap. If the urine anion gap is negative, odds are it's type 2 RTA because those patients have normal hydrogen ion secretion in the distal tubule. If the anion gap is positive with a pH over 5.5, which is inappropriately alkaline, it's likely to be type 1, and if the pH is below 5.5, it's probably type 4. It's not a perfect system, there are always variations and exceptions, but it's a good way to work through the differences. Once you make the diagnosis, try to find and treat any underlying causes and, for type 1 and 2 RTA, move on to supplemental bicarb to help correct the acidosis. Obviously, the nephrologist will be your friends anytime you're worried about an RTA, but they'll appreciate if you've done some of the first steps on your own, and you definitely won't be able to call a consult during your next exam. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, give us a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PedSoup, that's P-E-D-S-S-O-U-P, and reach us there or by email at PedSoup at gmail.com with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. I'm Jim McCarthy, and we'll be back next time with more PedSoup.